everyone. Welcome to Trips Tennis Talk, the amateur podcast about professional tennis. Thanks for finding the pod. Thanks for listening. We have a guest today. Matt Zemek is going to be joining the pod in just a couple of moments. I'm going to give Matt the floor today. So you've heard me talk enough this week if you've listened to the other episodes. Today we're going to talk about what happened at the Canadian tournaments on Sunday. Um, we have champions crowned. Pablo Carreno Busta and Simona Halep are your winners. Just at the start here, I'm going to very quickly go through the matches today, maybe a little quicker than I would normally. Then we'll just get right to the interview with Matt because he was great, gave a lot of content. So we'll start with the uh, less interesting match today. We'll save the interesting one for a second. So in the men's final today in Montreal, the number, actually he was unseated, Pablo Carreno Busta scored his maiden Masters 1000 victory over number eight seed Hubert Hercotch, uh, 3-6, 6-3, 6-3. Just going through the match notes here, the first two sets were very unremarkable. It was one break each. Carreno Busta lost his serve to Love in the first set at 2-3, and that was that. Hercotch served out that first set 6-3, nothing notable to say there. And then Hercotch lost his serve in the first game of the second at Love 1 to give Carreno Busta the two-love lead there, and that was that. So it was a pair of 6-3 sets, one break. Um, there were a couple of good shots early in that third set, a couple of entertaining uh, exchanges. Uh, Carreno Busta got the break at one all, and he was able to make that break stand up. And then he broke again for the match at 3-5. So that 6-3 scoreline in the third set, that was two breaks for Carreno Busta. Just an interesting stat. Every single break point in the match resulted in a break. Her couch was one out of one on break points, and Carreno Busta was three out of three. So Pablo Carreno Busta joins players in recent years in winning their first Masters 1000 title. I'm not going to pull it up, but just in the last couple of years, players to win their first, uh, Del Potro, Fanini, uh, Sock, Kachanov, I think, um, Alcaraz, Sitsipas, and, you know, they have a couple now, but, you know, Medvedev, Zverev, they're also recent winners, and Hercotch. Hercotch himself has a Masters 1000 title, and now Pablo Carreno Busta does as well. Again, I want to move a little quicker today, so um, the, the review of who's won the big tournaments this year. Here's a list of your Masters and Majors winners for this year. Djokovic with two. Nadal with two. Alcaraz with two. Carreno Busta with one. Sitsipas with one. And Fritz with one. Those are the male players that have won the big tournaments this year. Checking in on the race points after this week in Canada. Rafael Nadal is still number one. Alcaraz is two, Sitsipas is three, Kaspar Ruud is four in the race, Medvedev is five, Zverev six, 
7, Ajay Aliasim, and 8 is Rublev. Checking in on a couple of other notable names. Herkoc is up to 9, Kareno Busta is up to 11, Djokovic, as a result of this, is down to 12. Again, Djokovic down to 12 in the race. Interesting uh, stat to track going forward. He's going to need a couple of big results to get in the top eight there. And Nick Kyrgios is up to 20 in the race. So, yes, Nick Kyrgios in the top 20 now. Um, Again, let's move on quickly to uh, the women's tournament today. And Simona Halep defeated Beatriz Haddad Maya to win the WTA 1000 tournament in Toronto. This match got started shortly after 1.30 p.m. local time. And I thought this was a compelling match. This is one of the better matches of the week, I thought. Just to talk through it very quickly. Um, Halep got broken in her first game. She served four double faults in... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight points. Four doubles and eight points, and Haddad Maya got that early break. Um, Halep was love three down in that first set. She came back to win it 6-3. Haddad Maya also got up three love in the second set, but Haddad Maya was able to close it out this time. Haddad Maya won the second set 6-2. Then in the third set especially, I thought both players were playing well at the same time. The quality of the match was high. Um, They were hitting the ball hard. And I know all professionals hit the ball hard compared to the rest of us, but even on that scale, it felt like the quality of the hitting in that third set was a lot higher. Um, And Halep's serve definitely got better as the match went along. And in the last couple sets, Halep didn't really have any outbursts of negativity. So Halep got better as the match went along, and she gets the win. Uh, Halep gets the win 6-3-2-6-6-3. I think I have that right. Let me just, yeah, 6-3-2-6-6-3. Halep is the champion. As I've said this week, it's her first big title in a couple of years, and this definitely puts her in the U.S. Open conversation. Um, And I... Just again, I thought it was a good match. The crowd was pumped. You saw Brazilian and Romanian flags in the audience. And I thought this was the best Canadian Open in several years. There were lots of three-setters early in the week and late in the week. And it was a very fun tournament to watch, I thought. Again, the best Canada week in a, in, a, in a long time, I would say. Um, let's uh, quickly go through the WTA race points. Let's check in on what's going on there, and then we'll get to the Matt's interview. Live WTA race. Sviantec is one. Jabor is two. Pagula is three. Halep up to four as a result of winning. Goff is five. Kasatkina is six. Sakari seven. Bedosa eight. Haddad Maya is up to 11 after this week. And we'll uh, we'll go ahead and leave it there because let's go ahead and move it along. 
So today we have a guest on the podcast. At the moment, it might be the only guest in the history of the podcast, but it's always you gotta have your first guest somewhere, right? And that is Matt Zemek, a prominent figure on tennis Twitter and elsewhere. Let's get to the interview with Matt. Joining me now is Matt Zemek. Matt is the editor of Tennis with an Accent, a tennis-centric website and podcast network owned by Sakib Ali. Matt previously covered tennis with All I Need is a Picket Fence, Attacking the Net, FanRag Sports, and on Patreon.com. Matt is the author of Expressly Fed, Several Years Aboard the Federer Express, and Novak Djokovic, Making the Rough Places Plain. He is on Twitter at M-Z-E-M-E-K. Matt, welcome to Trips Tennis Talk. You are very very kind to appear on my nothing podcast that nobody listens to. I'm sorry, Matt, but this might be the end of your podcasting career if you're appearing on shows like this. Thanks for coming on Trips Tennis Talk. Well, I think it's a real trip to be on your podcast. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I mean, I'm covering USC football and I'm writing about baseball, so I have a bunch of other media responsibilities. So I didn't notice uh, until this past weekend in Canada that you'd launched your podcast. Congratulations! I think it's fantastic. I mean, you're a very knowledgeable voice. Now, you know, you, you do go for the sensationalistic. <laughs> tweet once in a while like nick Kyrgios being the best player in the world you know come on now but so so do you but 98.9 percent of the time you have excellent tennis takes and i'm really uh thrilled to be on your show all right excellent thanks for those very kind words and the podcast didn't exist until a week ago and who knows how long how long it will exist because you know i will have to go back to work in two or three weeks you know Anyway, let's not get into that right now. So you, I, uh, you promised me about 20 minutes, so let's just uh, get right into it here. So number one, Matt, open-ended question. And, um, you know, this, this is all about you, so go as long as you want here. Thoughts on the men's final? Well, it's not all about me. It's all about Pablo Carreño Busta, uh, who, uh, and you know, I said this is a real trip. Well, he put the PCB into this trip to Canada, winning uh, a 1,000-point title in Montreal. And, you know, Trip, you know me, and, and people who are listening to this podcast know me in, in terms of uh, split-session semifinals at these 1,000-point tournaments are pure evil, and it's an absolute disgrace that we still have them, that we should have semifinals being played one after the other, men and women, so that there's no, you know, several hour gap between the first uh, finalist who plays the early afternoon match and then the late night finalist. So uh, Carino Busta had to play late night on Saturday and then he turns around for a Sunday afternoon final. You think that that's going to leave him a little bit outgunned against Hubie Hercotch? Not true. And uh, it's so impressive that Carreño Busta not only managed the conditions, he not only managed Hercotch, but he also managed the split session semifinal. He got the short end of the stick, you know, something we've seen so many times with Novak Djokovic getting that featured slot 
you know, usually in Rome, that's the city where it most often has happened. Carreño Busta surmounted all the obstacles and uh, what an absolutely fantastic achievement for him. So, you know, the, the men's semifinals and final, they were all three setters. They were all interesting, compelling matches, you know, not the sexy headline grabbing names, but it was interesting tennis. Uh, you know, it, it was certainly compelling, close matches. Um, you know, the guys did not step on a rake. So even though you didn't have the marquee names, it was quality tennis and a generally good advertisement for the sport. Now, obviously, you'd like to see the really big names. And let's include Dominic Team as well as Djokovic and Nadal. Uh, so, you know, not not uh, in the mix for various reasons. But nevertheless, uh, Karina Busta and Hercotch did really well. Let's not uh, neglect Casper Ruud, who, you know, is is uh, in the top five and is making a push for number three, number two. Um, if, if, you know, if Carlos Alcaraz uh, can't uh, reignite his game uh, at the U.S. Open in New York and in the final uh, stretch of the season. So, you know, it was interesting men's tennis and it's re it reflects, you know, the larger uh, state of play, which is, you know, if Djokovic and Nadal aren't there, it's parody city, baby. Okay, good stuff, Matt. And I was surprised on Twitter you did not mention the split session semifinals. And, um, uh, well, after the match, but not during. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Carreno Busta came from a set down today as well. So he yep. really beat the odds in that area. Um, what is the significance of Carreno Busta winning a Masters 1000? Yeah. So, you know, he, he has been, you know, a really solid, um, fourth round quarterfinal level player at hardcourt majors. And, uh, you know, he's been, uh, a, a resident of the top 20 for quite some time. So this is not one of those, uh, out of nowhere, uh, masters winners. Like this is not Jack sock at, at Bercy. Uh, it, it doesn't have nearly that same shock value or surprise value. Now, would I have picked Carreño Busta at the game this week? Of course not. But like this guy's been a solid upper tier pro, and in many ways, uh, you know, I, I, you know, Roberto Bautista Agut has had the reputation of being, you know, the elite threat, and we've seen uh, Agut, Bautista Agut bother Djokovic and, and uh, so many times, and and for that reason, you know, Bautista Agut has had the reputation of being the guy that you don't want to see in a draw. But really, in many ways, it's Cranio Busta who, who you don't want to see in a draw. Not not now, not if you're necessarily uh, Nadal or Djokovic, but if you're just about anybody else, um, Cranio Busta with this title, like you know, we need to consider he's he, he might have the better hardcourt resume than Bautista Agu because uh, Bautista Agu is certainly very consistent uh, and certainly was a threat for several years. But uh, Carreño Busta has also been a threat for several years, and now he has a big trophy to show for it. So it's, you know, it was in terms of the boxes that he had not yet checked in his career, this had to be at the top of the list. Now, I mean, he can dream about making a major final, something he hasn't yet done. He's been to the semifinals twice at the U.S. Open. Maybe the draw is going to open up for him. But realistically, I think that the thing that he needed to really achieve in his career to give it a measure of completeness was to win a, a 1000 point hardcourt tournament. Now he's done that. So I think it's, this is, this really rounds out his resume and it, it's great to see that kind of story, you know, not the fluky one-off 
champion that that we might see every now and then. This is a very solid, uh, you know, lunch pail tennis pro who, you know, had on his short list a few things that he really wanted to achieve. And this is this was a centerpiece. So he has to be extremely satisfied, not just for the title itself, but he had to have been gunning this gunning for this for a very long time. Now he has it. You know, when anybody uh, plays the, uh, tennis or any sport for that matter for a long time, Reno Busta is in his early 30s. So he's been at this for quite a while. He's no spring chicken. When you have a goal out there for a decade and it remains elusive and then you finally run it down in the, in the maybe not the latter portion of your career, but certainly like past the midpoint of your career, that's one of the most satisfying feelings in sports. That's the significance of Pablo Freño Busta winning a 1,000-point tournament. Uh-huh, and this was his first 1,000-point tournament. In recent years, we've had some new winners, Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, uh, Hercotch last year. So, Matt, what is the state of the ATP 1,000 circuit right now? I kind of alluded to it earlier, Trip, and that is that, you know, if Djokovic and Nadal, if you remove them from the equation, and, you know, we're all waiting to see if, you know, the recent CDC guidelines and, and that revision is going to allow Novak Djokovic to play at the U.S. Open. I mean, I'm not, not going to make any predictions about that, but it's certainly something that's being discussed. Um, you know, if you remove Djokovic and Nadal, who's obviously, you know, dealing with health limitations from the U.S. Open, it is it is wide open. And I would not place any real uh, value on seedings. I, I think you'd have to make Danil Medvedev, Club Med, the favorite. But, you know, he's barely played. You know, obviously he was unfairly banned from Wimbledon. Then he gets the brutal draw of Kyrgios in Montreal. So he's barely played. You know, he, he will need a few matches in Cincinnati uh, to feel pretty, you know, reasonably good about his chances uh, in New York. So if, if Rafa... You know, if Rafa's health is not up to par and Djokovic isn't allowed to play, okay, you do make Medvedev the favorite, but he would not be entering New York in in, uh, a situation uh, conducive to maximum performance. Uh, He he we need to see what he does in Cincinnati before we assign him overwhelming favorite status. Now, you know, favored favored status. Sure. But not overwhelming favorite status unless or until. Uh, he takes care of business and does, you know, at least a quarterfinal or semifinal run in Cincinnati just so that he has some match preparation, gets the juices flowing a little bit, you know, gets a, a little bit more uh, work done. Uh, you know, so that that would be the overall landscape. Now, in terms of uh, non-Medvedev players, um, it's a total jump ball, right? Because we've seen Carlos Alcaraz take a massive tumble, looks nothing like the player we saw in in uh, late March, early April in Miami, and then in May in Madrid, uh, you know, and on into early June, he looks nothing like that same player. And it's really interesting that, you know, in terms of assessing Carlos Alcaraz right now, I see a lot of parallels with Iga Sviatek's uh, 2021 season, that her team, you know, wanted her really just to play tennis, learn, just absorb these situations, don't judge yourself, too harshly, you just need to get used to life on tour. You need to get used to the grind uh, and, and just you know go through the experience without being your own worst critic. 
and just experience life on tour. Just have your eyes open, be ready to soak up knowledge. And we saw how much, you know, all the hard knocks uh, of 21, really, 2021 really seasoned and polished and improved Iga Sviantec for 2022. Uh, so I think that, you know, Juan Carlos Ferrero and the rest of Team Alcaraz, they just want him to learn. And they could be chasing the U.S. Open. They could be focused on, you know, the next big prize right in front of their noses. They're taking the long-term view. And so I can see the sense that makes, you know, playing post-Wimbledon clay, if you are if you want to set yourself up to win the U.S. Open, you don't play post-Wimbledon clay. But so obviously Ferrero and the rest of Alcaraz's team, they're thinking about the long run, not the short run. But nevertheless, we're left with a situation trip where, you know, playing for the long run and not for the U.S. Open, it has left Carlos Alcaraz in a less than desirable position for New York. So, you know, unless unless something ignites, unless he plays his way into form in week one, which I might add is possible, but I wouldn't really bank on it because that doesn't seem to be, the U.S. Open doesn't seem to be his focus. Uh, he and his team really seem to have a, a longer view uh, in mind. So if, Al, if, we, if we assume that Alcaraz is not really in good position to contend at the U.S. Open, well, you know, then you have Zverev, who's, been, who's injured and, and sidelined. Sitsipas is totally lost at sea, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe continuing what we've seen from him over the past several months. Uh, you know, Yannick Sinner is an intriguing prospect, but, you know, he's had health problems with his knees. So the strain of playing best of five hard court tennis, you know, that's not a knee friendly thing. You know, that's from following Rafa. Uh, so, uh, you know, if, if he's healthy, Center becomes a highly intriguing choice in New York. But that's a big if. You know, we don't know how his body is going to hold up uh, over a fortnight of hard court tennis. And then, you know, as you get lower into the top 10, I mean, you know, Felix uh, Oje Aliassin, he made the semis last year in New York. But, you know, do you really want to ride with him? Casper Rude dismantled him in Montreal. And as for Rude, I mean, he is solid. He's pretty consistent. But, you know, are you are you going to be fully confident about picking Casper Ruud? You know, to make a semifinal or better run in New York. I mean, we have to say that Casper Ruud's had a terrific season. Full credit to him, but we can also say, you know, the draw really, really, really opened up for him at Roland Garros, and that's not a that's not a knock on Ruud. It's just a reflection that was on his best surface played. too. It's on his best surface, but nevertheless, it's a reflection of who he played, and he yep. can't control that. But, you know, he had a, a wonderful draw. I mean, Marin Cilic uh, in the semifinals, I mean, that that's as good as you can get. It's a lot like Nick Kyrgios, you know, having uh, Christian Garin in the quarterfinals at Wimbledon. You could, could literally could not have asked for a better draw. So are we, are we really confident that Rude's going to make a really deep run in New York? You know, all these things are legitimately possible. But, you know, if you're at a high-stakes poker table, you're going to put all your chips in on these guys. None of them have uh, done enough to to earn the benefit of the doubt. And I'm, t I'm not talking about Medvedev. I'm talking about, you know, anyone other than Djokovic, Nadal, Medvedev. So from Alcaraz to Sitsipas to Rude to Felix to Sinner, all of them have a distinct possibility of being able to do damage in New York. But again, would you really bet the mortgage on any of them i don't think so and so that that's really where we are with the atp of the u.s open you know just around the bend after cincinnati 
it, it is it is going to be a free for all. We're definitely going to be studying the draws. Definitely going to be monitoring Nadal's health. We're definitely going to be monitoring if the United States government uh, allows Djokovic uh, to, to play at this tournament. Uh, again, thanks for another great answer, Matt. And um, I know I asked for twenty. And if you have to go, I totally understand that. Uh, I'm um, I'm good. All right, but we do have to we have to get under the forty minute Zoom cap here. So um, just two. That quick... will not be a problem. All right. Two quick ones, just picking up on what you said. Just real quick. Should Sitsipas fire his dad? Yes. I think he, de- he definitely needs a new – first off, he definitely needs a new voice. But second, his his dad, you know, is not really, you know, giving him a positive frame of mind. And so the fact that – it's not just the fact that his coaching situation isn't working out. It's the fact that when your coach is a family member – you know, that is an extra burden to carry. And and so if you're if a parent is going to bother to coach a son or a daughter, that dynamic better be very, very harmonious. It better be very, very smooth. If not, that's precisely when you need an outside party, a third party to have total ownership of the coach athlete relationship. So on, on numerous levels, it's not just the coach not working out, but it's also the family dynamic. It certainly is not giving sits upon the positive vibes and and the 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 good mental outlook that he really needs to sharpen up his inner game where he has really fallen short this year yep i would agree with that i think he needs a new voice and now the second thing picking up on what you said and transitioning to the the women's game matt what's going on with iga Sviantek right now uh, you know, not too much. I think that, uh, you know, we didn't know how she was going to perform at Wimbledon because grass is such a different animal and players on tour uh, do not get a lot of time on it. So I, I went into Wimbledon, uh, you know, a tournament I didn't cover because I thought the Russian and Belarusian ban was so odious. I did not watch the tournament. But, you know, just in terms of how I processed Wimbledon going in, I I did not know what to expect at all from Iga Sviantek. So the fact that, you know, she didn't make an especially deep run, eh, I throw that out. Like I don't I don't assign too much of any weight to it. And okay. then, you know, she ran she ran into Haddad Maya uh in uh in Toronto. And you know, Haddad Maya was obviously the hot player, the informed player riding a wave and conditions were windy and, and that was a bit of an adjustment. And as our friend Trenton Jock uh noted on, on Twitter Trenton J-O-C-Z, for those of you uh, who don't know his uh, Twitter handle, um, Trenton pointed out that, you know, at, at Ash Stadium, because of the large overhang built in 2015, you don't get nearly as much of a wind tunnel effect. I mean, you know, the wind when Ash was an open bowl stadium was enormous. And we remember Federer Agassi basically played in a gale or you know like a mini hurricane you know matt i was in the stadium stadium for that match if you didn't know that was the first my that was when i did not like tennis i was there on the second day of that match and i wanted to be anywhere else on the world carried over from the night session one day to the day session the next day yes yeah anyway getting back to finish up on Shriantek there? Oh, no. Well, well, you were about to finish off your uh, Federer Agassi uh, anecdote. No, no. it's That's really all that I remember. I just did not okay. want to be there. So I just so I just wanted to point out, we also had the Tomas Berdik, uh, Andy Murray yeah. 
major wind event in the 2012. There was a tornado US warning or something, wasn't before there? Before the storm yeah. rolled in. So anyway, Sviantec, you know, would, would have had to have deal to have dealt with a, a miserable wind conditions pre 2015, but now on Ash Stadium, she won't have to deal with that wind because that overhang is going to shield that court from windy conditions. So that is a that loss to Haddad Maya is an aberration. It's a one-off. It should not be seen as a really alarming indicator. And if anything, you know, that means that that Sviantec did not have to overplay. I mean, she played a ton of tennis through Roland Garros. Uh, so this leaves her, I think, in a good position in terms of being physically fresh. Um, and, you know, and and she's already won Roland Garros. So in, in, in some sense, she's achieved one of her central goals. I think she's going to come to New York with the right mix of relaxation and hunger. And I certainly wouldn't want to bet against her, though. Of course, you know, if we see the draw, maybe there are going to be a couple of unique landmines that could be problematic for her. But she is the clear favorite I and mean, maybe not overwhelming favorite, but clear favorite. Like you would definitely put her a few notches ahead of the Toronto champion, Simona Halep, or also Coco Goff, who, you know, I, I think has a great chance to go deep once again, as she did at Roland Garros. But you certainly don't put them on the same plane. You definitely put Sviantec a few notches above everybody else. Yeah, I, this this is going to be our first bit of good radio, Matt, because I disagree with you a little bit on that. You know, good, the, the, bring it on. There we go. the The stat that was going around on Twitter that she's three and three in, in her last six matches, Sviantec, and uh, you know, just to go through those, um, she lost to Wimbledon at Cornet. She lost to Cornet at Wimbledon. She loses to Haddad Maya this week. And I think she played one of those July tournaments. Maybe that was the third one, but I don't know yeah, that off the, the top the, of my head. In Poland, and she lost to Caroline Garcia. Yep. And and and, and remember, post Wimbledon clay, you know that that is uh, not something I assign a whole lot of uh, significance cor- to. Cor- correctly so. And so. of course, she's playing that event because it was a hometown event for, and she played it for no other reason. So that kind of puts a uh, puts her into a unique mental box that like. I'm playing this for my for my nation. I'm not really playing it for myself. That's kind of like an inverse Olympics. Like you're <laughs> playing for your country, but you, but it's at a a pro tour event that ordinarily, you know, if this was if Iga Swiatek was you know Slovakian, let's say, she's not playing the Poland Open. You know, there there would not be a, a reason for her to play that. But it's only because she's Polish that she played that. Yep, just like a team in Kitzbühel, right? Exactly. Um, so you already talked about who's on your short list. So the the women's well, f- well let's flesh that out. Let's flesh that Go out. Go ahead. I think, you know, the Sviantec's the favorite, and then two through four in some order. And you can you could really go any any order with this trip, or anyone else listening to uh, the Trip Tennis Podcast. <laughs> um, uh, Halep, Goff, Jabir. I mean, it, the, the, those are the three players who I would put immediately below. Sviantec at the U.S. Open. I mean, we've seen what Goff can do. We've seen what Jabir can do. You know, they've both they've both reached major finals. How it made the semis at Wimbledon and crucially is healthy, and she's rising up the ranks. You know, she's into the top six after her Toronto title. So things are really lining up for her well. And you know, we've seen Halep, uh, you know, on the eve of the French Open in, in a few recent years when she seemed to be one of the top favorites, she got hurt. Yep. And, you know, so she's she's had things 
set up for her to do well at majors where she was going to be a top three choice only for her to then suffer an injury, which derailed her campaign. So, she, so you know that she's gunning for this U.S. Open as a chance to make a real statement, playing great tennis, figuring out various kinds of opponents. So she has to be in the top four, you know, and, and in one of that three-person pack with Goff and Jabur, you know, a notch below Sviantek. Then, then, it, then, then it becomes more open-ended uh, when you get to number five, number six, number seven, and if you know if you're rating contenders for the U.S. Open. But it's definitely Sviantek one, and then that pack of three uh, in the two through four slots. And you can order them however the way you want. So just one more long form for you, Matt. Then a couple of rapid fire ones. So let's talk about the match today, the women's final today. I thought it was a compelling match. I thought the stadium was packed. I thought you saw flags for both players in the stands. The crowd was appreciative. They were into it. Um, And, you know, for those people listening, Halep beats Haddad Maya today to win the Toronto tournament. And, you know, Halep didn't get off to the best start. In her first game, she had three or four double faults. And I think she's still held. Let me check that real fast. Uh, good radio. Uh, she she no she got broken. She served one two three four double faults, and you know she had a similar problem similar problems earlier in the week. And I've been talking on Twitter about how she can have some negative body language, and you know sometimes unnecessarily so. Anyway. She kind of rallied past that, and I thought it was a it was a compelling match, and Halep sort of overcame her sort of in, inner demons. What do you make of today's match, and was it good? Um, any particular moments or tactics stand out to you? No, I mean, uh, you know, I think that you know playing Jessica Pagula in the semis was good preparation for Simona Halep in this match. And, you know, we've seen Haddad Maya hit the ball very authoritatively. And so, you know, Halep needed to not get into a shooting match with Pagula. You know, she needed to avoid hitting the ball hard and flat. You know, that was not a match in which Halep needed to go guns blazing. She needed to take the air out of the ball. Of course, we saw that viral clip on Twitter of Pagula certainly seeming to say, she's such a pusher. Uh, But, but, you know, that's what, that's what Halep had to do. You know, you know, if 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 you know that your opponent can fire fastballs, meaning you know, hitting the ball hard and flat with accelerations into the corners and, and cross court, well, you don't let your opponent throw fastballs. You throw changeups. You get the you get the other hitter uh off balance. I mean, you know this as a New York Yankees fan trip. So <laughs> uh Halep had to play Pagula in such a way that she had to defuse her opponent's power and her hard flat shots. So Haddad Maya offered a similar, not necessarily exact, but a similar challenge. So Halep was of a mindset that, hey, I can't, you know, allow my opponent uh, to dictate. So it really put her in the right frame of mind. In terms of the double faults early from Halep, hey, this was a huge moment. Halep knew the stakes involved. She wanted to be a top eight seed at the U.S. Open, wanted to bag a significant title. You know, after falling short at Wimbledon and not playing her best against Rabakina in the uh, semifinals, I mean, she wanted this one badly, and so that you know she had so she had the 
opening match, early stage jitters, but you know, she did indeed fight through them. And, you know, we, we, as you've pointed out, yes, she'll get very negative at herself, but you know, Darren Cahill taught her so much about, you know, containing yourself. Halep's former coach for the people listening. Absolutely. So he, he, Cahill taught her so much about the inner game and we, we saw how apply those lessons uh, in, in this particular match. So, you know, all her years of learning, all her years of accumulated wisdom really r- rose to the forefront uh, in this particular match. And it was a very interesting match. And we should point out as we talk about, you know, how good a tournament Canada was, both yep, the, it was. the WTA, WTA in, in the Toronto and the ATP in Montreal. Hey, Six late stage matches over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, four yep. semifinals on Saturday, the two finals on Sunday. Only one of those six matches uh, did not go to three sets. And Pliskova had five, two in the second set and, and, and was, you know, just an eyelash away from sending that semifinal against Haddad Maya into a third set. So like what a buffet of tennis this was. And, we, we often come to the semifinal stages of tournaments and their total duds. Hmm. Uh, you know, Rowan Garros semifinals, for instance, they that 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 was Dudsville City. Uh, this was very different from that. We had compelling matches throughout the week and especially the weekend. So, like, the tournament was good during the middle of the week in Canada. It did not lose steam over the weekend, anything but. If anything, it, it got even better, you know, when you have a compelling down-to-the-wire uh, set of semifinals and then – Two very interesting, uh, uh, twisty, turny uh, championship matches on Sunday. Hey, the Canada organizers for the National Bank Open, formerly the Rogers Cup, uh, they have to be absolutely chuffed uh, at uh, the great tennis that they saw throughout the week, and especially on the weekend. Absolutely. I would say it was probably the best Canadian week in the last several years, and um just uh, we have to wrap it up in under 10 minutes here or we're going to get booted out. So we're, on, we're doing this on Zoom. And uh, just a couple rapid-fire questions for you here at the end, Matt. Um, first one, did you, did you hear the on-court coaching this week for the ATP? Because I was listening a lot to the tennis TV feed that doesn't have commentary. And to use an example... Uh, Craig Boynton, the coach for Hubert Hercotch, during the match he was talking a lot to Hercotch, you know, and it was more than just, you know, you know, good shot or clapping or whatever. It was, you know, you got this or you know what he's going to do, play the next point. So it was a little more specific. Just what do you make of the blatant coaching that was on, that was clearly displayed on the the ATP's proprietary service there where coaching is supposed well, to be illegal. Yeah. Well, you know, play the next point. I mean, if we're going to, we're going to say like, Oh, that's unfair coaching as though the other player isn't going to play the next point. And, you know, to me, the, the problem with coaching is when a hand signal or some other signal sign is given in terms of tactics like that, that to me is the line you don't cross. Like in terms of general motivation, exhortation, I don't really care. But if you're if you're if you're clearly signaling tactics, like you know, as in baseball, when you give a sign, you know, to steal a base, lay down a sacrifice bunt, execute a hit and run, that's what you can't have. 
uh, you know, in terms of just openly sharing the tactics. And of course, Trip, the U.S. Open, you know, is moving in the direction yep. of allowing this stuff. Yep, they're going to so, have it. You know, so maybe the whole, you know, so if coaches are coaching excessively <laughs> in the U.S. Open series, they're saying, hey, we're just preparing for New York. Yeah, these tournaments are where the it's shot ludicrous. clock started as well. These warm-up tournaments in August. Um, yeah. One word answer. Will Serena Williams play a WTA or slam match in 2023? No, she's uh, the U.S. Opens her uh, goodbye. And another one word answer. Will Roger Federer play an ATP match in 2024? No. Interesting. I do think he'll play next year, but not 2024. So next week is Cincinnati. Matt, Skyline Chili or Gold Star Chili? Uh, I haven't had either one. Yeah, I thought you might say that, but you know, well, ju- I have no <laughs> basis for judgment. Can't can't make a judgment if you haven't tried it. So, just for the people listening, I'm uh, born in Cincinnati, lived there, and have been to the tournament several times. Okay, just two, two, three more. Very. The quick. Bengals are not going to defend their <laughs> AFC no, championship. No, you're you're, you're on you're on the right track, but just quickly, on a scale of zero to ten, how tasty is Big Jim's? Uh, ten. <laughs> yeah, I'd. I'd have to agree. That's an with that. inside baseball question for people who uh, <laughs> are wondering where that came from. How many touchdowns will Trevor Lawrence have this year, Matt? Not nearly enough. <laughs> and is Mike Norvell coaching Florida State a year from now? Yes. Two years from now? No. <laughs> okay. So again. Uh, Matt is uh, more inside baseball for our uh, you know Romanian and Canadian listeners uh, who uh, came in here for the Let, tennis. Let's not kid anybody, Matt. No one's going to listen to this podcast. You're just doing me a solid as a oh, friend. Oh, no, I'm going to promote it, so there are definitely going to be some people <laughs> listening to it. And if not, you're you're all in trouble. All right. So again, Matt is the editor of Tennis with an Accent. Go go read his work. Go listen to his work. Go give him money. Matt, anything you want to promote? The floor is yours quickly because we're running out of time. Yeah, just want to say, you know, uh, my partner, Saqib Ali, you know, his dad died earlier this year. His mom's going through health problems. Just give him a, a virtual hug. Say a prayer for him and his family. Just really going through the most miserable year. You know, an, an Annus Horribilis, as Queen Elizabeth would say. Just uh, prayers, please, for for my partner, Saqib, uh, who, I, who I dearly love and care for. All right. Absolutely, and we'll keep him all in our thoughts and his family as well. Matt, thank you very much. I am looking forward to coming back on this podcast after the U.S. Open. Excellent. Return engagement started by the guest. Awesome, Matt. You're the man. Thanks, Matt. You are You are the man. Congratulations on uh, this Trips Tennis podcast. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Again, thanks to Matt Zemek for spending some time with me on this Sunday afternoon talking about what happened in Canada and looking forward to the next couple weeks of American tennis. Please go support Matt's work and the work of all his colleagues. And if you liked this podcast, go ahead and give it a five-star review. If you didn't like it, you can give it less than five stars, but I'd prefer five. And 
get in touch with me either on the Apple Podcasts app or on Twitter. You guys can find me. Um, I think that's all I got. Um, it was a good week in Canada, and now, finally, we are on to Cincinnati. Thanks for listening. Hope if this was your first one that you come back. Again, I'm just a guy sitting in a chair with a microphone. I'm just a regular guy. Again, this is an amateur podcast for a reason, because I'm an amateur when it comes to doing this stuff. That was my first ever interview with somebody. So, hope you guys enjoyed that. We are now on to Cincinnati. Thanks for listening. This podcast was courtesy of Oregon Productions. Thank you.